is different than the preference of the church leadership. And in 21st century America, when there's a church on every street corner, people like to find a church that suits their preference. But the reality is, is that the church is not which burger joint are you going to go to. It's the family of God, blood bought by Jesus. There seems to be churches everywhere you turn. Different sizes and preferences are available to anyone everywhere. Hopefully, they all have the gospel message in common. But Pastor Daniel today shares with us the real meaning of being a church family. We don't have to agree on every single detail about living to be connected. Instead, we must live as a family seeking Jesus together, despite our differences in conscience. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Living Free. What are we allowed to get away with and still call ourselves Christians? When you ask people questions... What are your questions? It's always, how much can I do and still be a godly follower of Jesus? You know, and I make a joke about it, but it's a pretty honest question, isn't it? Because if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're saying, look, I want to honor God. I want my life to be honoring of God. But, you know, there's all these things that we could be doing. There's all these realities that we can live in, and and we live in a culture, and there's certain values that our culture has, and and so what do we do with all this stuff? And so you get questions about alcohol. You get questions about tattoos and piercings. You get questions like, you know, is it okay to really like the beat of certain music that isn't Jesus, 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 God, 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 and there's have other things. And so this has been a question that every generation of Christians have asked, given what's going on in their own day. So today we're doing a message that I'm calling Living Free. Because Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. We all know this. So we need to explore together as a church, what does it mean to live free? What does it mean to have what is commonly called Christian liberty? Now, right from the beginning, I'm going to give you the kind of overarching theme for the day, and it's this, that living free is learning to be family while disagreeing over conscience and preference. Living free is about learning to be family while disagreeing over conscience and preference. The hardest part about being a Christian is actually being a part of a community, a covenant community, a church. Because being a part of church means that there's going to be other people who are different from you, 
who maybe have different views than you do, maybe present themselves differently than you would, but yet the blood of Jesus puts us together and ties us together. And if you've been around church at all, a lot of us have, people move around. They go to different churches because I like this church and then, you know, so-and-so is just, I can't believe that they did that. And it really isn't a sinful thing. It's just like, they're just different from you. Maybe your conscience kind of pricks you on certain things that it doesn't prick somebody else on. Maybe your preference is different than the preference of the church leadership. And in 21st century America, when there's a church on every street corner, people like to find a church that suits their preference. But the reality is, is that the church is not which burger joint are you going to go to? It's the family of God, blood bought by Jesus. And so living free is about learning to be family, us all coming to an understanding of what family is while still disagreeing over areas of conscience where one person might say, hey, we can't do that. Another person say, well, in Jesus' name we can. And preference. Now, I was thinking about preference. And I was thinking about in every generation there is style. Right? And so preference. Each one of you woke up this morning and decided how you're going to look today. You go to get your hair cut and you decide how you're going to present yourself. It's all just preference. Some people, they're just like, yeah, you know, like, I think it looks really good when I dress this way. And other people are like, I don't know if I would have worn that. See, but it's all preferential. It's all preferential. And the reality about living free, what it means to be a child of God and then part of a family of God, the reality is that we need to learn how to be a family while sometimes there are disagreements in regards to what is okay or what pricks somebody's conscience and what is a preference. Like a question like alcohol. There are some of you who say that having a drink is the most sinful thing in the world. There are others of you who say that in Christ, I have the liberty to drink if I want to. Now, both would agree that drunkenness is a sin. But for some of you, I mean, some of the questions that came in, I can't believe that Christians drink. It's completely terrible. And so their conscience is pricked. For others of you, you could say things like, well, Jesus turned water into wine in John chapter 2. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he turned water into wine, turned water into not just like some lame wine, but the best wine of the day. When Jesus had that supper, what was he using? Wine. Now, if you grew up in a church that said it was unfermented grape juice, that's just bad Bible. That's not what the Bible says. They knew what good wine was. Jesus himself was called a glutton and a wine bibber because he did partake. You can read that in Luke chapter 7, 33 and 34. But yet John the Baptist didn't partake, and they said he had a demon. Because in the end of the day, in court of public opinion, you're in trouble either way for most people. So the reality is, is that with things like alcohol, there's going to be differing views on it, both biblical. Now, tattoos and piercings. Most people would say tattoos, according to Leviticus 19, verse 28, it says this, you shall not make cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. So say, oh, the law says no 
cuttings for the dead or tattoos, right? That's what it says. You know what it says the verse before this? Verse 27, Leviticus 19. You guys, listen up. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. So that means that you're all sinners and I am the righteous one. <laughs> I mean, when would you ever have thought that this was the case? I mean, I'm, I'm jesting. I'm not saying... See, those laws were meant to tell the people, don't be like the people of the land. Don't do the things that the people of the land were doing. And if you notice, people who are Orthodox Jewish, they grow out the sides. They have these little, the, the curly cues. They're called payas to honor this verse. So if you go get, next time you get a haircut, guys, just remember, you're breaking Leviticus. Next time you bust out your Bic razor, shave, you're breaking the law. Piercings makes it, it's even harder in the Bible because if you're studying with us in our midweek study in Genesis 24, the nose ring was the first engagement ring. Do you remember when the servant came and met Rebecca? He put a big old gold ring on her nose. What about the bond servant in uh, Exodus chapter 21? The most, and the bond servant that got ushered into the New Testament when we are voluntary servants. For a servant who gets freed but decides to stay, what does he get? He gets an earring. So these things are in the Bible. So what do we do with it? You know what I forgot to tell you about tattoos real quick? I can't believe I forgot this. It's so wild. Go read Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus returns. You'll find that in Revelation 19 when Jesus returns, he's got a tattoo on his thigh. It says a name written on his thigh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when Jesus returns, he's going to be all tatted up, I guess. <laughs> clothing choices. We know modesty in clothing honors God. But modesty speaks nothing of stylistic preferences. Now, I think there is a line that almost everybody can say, hey, that probably isn't very modest. But a lot of people's, I don't like their clothing, is because they have a different sense of style than somebody else does. Again, it's preference. It's all preferential. Then, of course, music. You know, like, should we only play in a Christian softball league, or can we play in a whatever your belief is softball league? Can I enjoy music that isn't on K-Love or, you know, whatever the radio station is? All questions of preference and conscience. So what I want to do with that being the case, because we all are learning to be family with people with different opinions. I want to just take you through Romans chapter 14. So open up in your Bibles, Romans chapter 14. We're just going to take this whole chapter, kind of a flyover. If you want additional information, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is supplemental. It talks about some of the same things, uses different examples, but it's the same thing, essentially. So Romans chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? 
to his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So we begin with a simple truth, that you are a servant of God, and only his perspective really matters. You are a servant of God, and only his perspective really matters. See, here we have Paul's admonition to the church. Receive one who is weakened of the faith, but not into disputes over doubtful things. So he says, receive people, even if they don't have a robust faith, if they have a weak faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And he gives an example of one of the disputes. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, in Rome, they were quite used to offering meat to idols and then selling them in the square. And so what was interesting is in that day and age, people who came to know Jesus who had been idol worshipers, for many of them, they struggled with, can I eat this meat that was offered to an idol or does it defile my conscience before the Lord? And so there was a dispute. One says, you can eat everything, it's no problem. Another says, you can only eat vegetables. The idea is that you can't partake of everything because this was sacrificed to idols. Now notice in verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. You see that? See, what it's saying is that in within a family, you are not my master, and I am not your master. We are all servants of the true master, and it's only what he thinks that really matters, not what everybody else thinks. And for most people, they live their lives trying to make everybody happy, right? We call this what? People-pleasing. Just want everyone to be happy with me. What I have learned is that person who everybody is pleased with, oftentimes God is not anywhere in the picture. Because the pleasure of people, the acceptance of people is so strong that you'll do everything that everybody wants you to do rather than what God has called you to do. So the reality is, is that for somebody who chose to eat meat that maybe had been sacrificed to idols, as opposed to somebody who didn't feel that they could do it because, hey, that was sacrificed to idol, and that's ungodly, and you can't do that. Paul says to both of them, listen, don't despise each other. Don't judge one another. Who are you to judge another man's servant? It's not your call. And what that does is that in the reality of Christian liberty, it takes both people out of the judgment seat. Nobody is allowed to judge each other because we are God's servants. And before their master, a servant, stands or falls. In that culture, if you had somebody who worked for you, it didn't matter what some other business owner thought about the job they did. Only that business owner had the choice to make over what is right and what is wrong in his own company. And that is true for us. There is so much judgment that goes on in the body of Christ. So much of it. Well, I don't think we should do it that way. I don't think that person, if I was that person, I wouldn't do it that way. And I always say the same thing. Guess what? You're not that person. You don't understand everything that they understand. I think about Pastor Bill. 
He's been pastoring this church for 40 years. If you've been around here for a while, there's been all sorts of views on decisions that have been made. But what's amazing is, is that Pastor Bill's justification doesn't come before the eyes of the body. It comes before the Lord who knows everything. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to talk about things. There's a difference between wanting to have a conversation and passing judgment. And so the key here is this. If you feel the liberty to have a tattoo or have a drink or listen to non-Christian music, don't judge the person who doesn't. If you don't have the liberty to drink, if you don't have the liberty to do these things and somebody else does, don't judge them for doing it. Because guess what? We don't get the opportunity. God doesn't bless us with the authority to judge his own kids. Seems pretty simple, right? Seems pretty simple. Listen, Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase of the Bible, the message, says this. Since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? That's a really powerful way to think about it, isn't it? That if God has invited everybody to the table, then who are us to adjust the guest list? If God is saying, look, you are my servant, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because he's the master. It's God's call. Now from there in verse five, look what happens. It says this, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and give God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. You see what Paul does here? Now he brings in the idea of which day you're going to observe as the Sabbath day. There's a lot of questions about Sabbath observance and why we do what we do and all these things. So I'll deal with it a little bit more. But the reality is what he's saying is that one person esteems one higher than the other. Another one doesn't. Over and over again. Look at verse 5. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You see that? So what that means is that there's going to be some people who are fully convinced that having a drink is the worst thing in the world. And there'll be other people who say, well, drunkenness is a problem, but having a drink isn't. There'll be some people who are fully convinced that you should only be a vegetarian because that is the Garden of Eden diet and all this stuff. And there'll be other people who say, oh, no, no, unless you eat meat, you're weak in the faith. See, Paul assumes that within the church, each side is going to be fully convinced that it's going to be a settled belief of the mind and the heart. This is the way I ought to go. Fully convinced. And the reality is, is that what Paul says here is this. We all live Godward, whether or not we exercise liberty. We all live Godward. We all live as unto the Lord, Godward, whether or not we exercise liberty. He says, look, if you eat, you eat and you give thanks to the Lord. And if you don't eat, you give thanks to the Lord. If you live, you live unto the Lord. And if you die, you die unto the Lord. So either way, for the body of Christ, our primary way of living is to the Lord. We live as unto the Lord. 
whether you do or don't. So if you're here today and you're like, look, I like tattoos, then I would say you get a tattoo as you get under the Lord. And if someone's here says, I would never get a tattoo, I think that's gross looking, then you do that as unto the Lord. But the reality is, is whether you do or don't, each person is doing it as unto the Lord, and that's what God is looking for. That is what God is desiring. That's what he's desiring. Now, as we continue forward in verse 9, it says this, For to this end Christ died and rose again, and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another Anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Here you go. You will give account for your life to the real judge. That's what these verses mean. You will give account for your life to the real judge. Do you see what he says here? He says, whatever we do, we're living Godward, whether we do it or we don't do it. And then he says, for to this end, Christ died and rose again and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. See, when you live your life Godward, whether you exercise or don't exercise your liberty, you will give an account for that life before the real judge before the real judge, before the one who has the ability to say this was good and this wasn't good. This was sinful and this was not. We have to remember that. God loves you and I enough to actually care about what's going on in our lives. God realized that the way that we live has eternal ramifications, not only for ourselves, but for everybody around us. You know, there's all these movies that come out now where it's like if one thing in the movie changes, it changes the whole outcome of history. There's lots of these movies. They have people trying to, you know, go back in time and change an event and all this stuff. I was just watching a movie recently. It wasn't a really good movie. It was more like a B or a C movie. But the idea was is that somebody was coming back from the future to observe all these huge catastrophes that happened. I forget the name of it. It was like kind of like, oh, come on. You guys could have done a better job than that. But the reality was is that a guy in the present found out about all of these different catastrophes and started to try and thwart them. And what was interesting is as he thwarted one of these catastrophes, it radically affected the future where the population explosion and this guy invented this thing that caused this problem. And it was wild. See, but the reality of that movie is that everything you do has eternal ramifications. Jesus is real. How can the church body live united while having differences in conscience and preference? Pastor Daniel answered this question today by seeking the Bible's point of view and reminding us how we're all individually accountable to God, not necessarily to each other. 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Life can be crazy busy at times. I don't know about you, I can go through the whole day blowing through my calendar and by the end I can think, where did the time go? Did I even spend it well or wisely? Did I pause and take a few moments to reflect on how good God is and how amazing His love is and to pray for those in my life and those around me in the world? Well, I found something that helps me remember. I wear a real leather bracelet all throughout the day. That bracelet catches my eyes and it's a constant reminder of what God is doing in my life and in the world around me. Every time I wear the real bracelet, I'm prompted to pray and to give thanks. And I want to make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some more information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Right now, you can help support Jesus' Real Radio and receive a tool that will help you remember the important things. A craftsman at Crossroads Community Church handmade leather bracelets with the word real on them. Like Pastor Daniel, when you wear your real bracelets, you'll have a constant reminder to pray and give thanks. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more, we will send you your very own real bracelet as a way to say thanks. Remember, your support helps us to do what we do here at Jesus is Real Radio. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner to join the team and receive your thank you gift. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues the discussion of differing conscience within the church. While we are entitled to our individual preferences, we need to also be careful not to stumble others along the way. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled, Really? That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is Real Radio.